Hi everyone, this is Michelle Gale. I'm so grateful you're here. And before we get started, I just wanted to share with you that I'll be launching my first ever free online conference called Mindful Parenting in a Messy World from September 18th to the 20th. We're going to have 15 speaker interviews, some of which include Rick Hansen, Susan Kaiser-Greenland, Dr. Shafali Sabari. You can register at conference.michellegale forward slash podcast. Make sure to register here because I'll be sending my podcast listeners a free bonus webinar titled Big Emotions and What to Do with Them. You can also find that link in the podcast notes. And I'm also offering a four-week online course in October called Mindful Parenting, the Foundations of Practice. It'll be a weekly course focused on mindfulness of the breath, body, emotions, and thoughts. We'll have a private Facebook group and weekly practices, and it'll be recorded each time so you can watch whenever it works for you. I'd love to have you join me. You can go to my website, beamindfulparent.com for more information, or just sign up to my weekly email list and you'll stay up to date on all the ways we can grow together as a community. And you will also receive my weekly musings. <laughs> Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Happily Family Conference. We are your hosts. I'm Cecilia Hilke. And I'm Jason Hilke. And we are delighted today to have Michelle Gale with us. Michelle is the author of Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence, Parenting with Purpose, and hosts a podcast by the same name. She's a mindfulness teacher and executive coach specializing in working with parents, women leaders, and organizations interested in awareness-based practices. And she previously was the head of learning and leadership development at Twitter. Michelle serves on the board of the Holistic Life Foundation and is an advisor to the Wisdom 2.0 Conference and the Mindful Schools. She studied mindfulness with Mark Coleman, Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, and the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to have you. Welcome again, Michelle. So great to talk to you again. Thank you, guys. I'm grateful to be here with you and get to participate and share with all of your all of your people and community all over the world. It's so exciting. I love what you're building. Oh, thanks. It's so fun to have people <laughs> like you on to be able to talk to you. And I'm so excited today too, because since we've talked last, we've gotten our hands on a copy of your book. Yay. And I wanted to start and ask you about how you discovered mindfulness and meditation, because even though we've talked several times in conferences and even personally on the phone, there's a bunch of stuff that you shared about your background and some of the dark times that you've been in that I wanted to uh, ask about just to give a context for today's conversation. But also there's another tiny little bit is that I think as parents, we can kind of freak out when our kids go through some dark times. And I think it's so wonderful to hear stories of people who've gone through hard stuff and are successful and like well-rounded, balanced, beautiful adults such as yourself. So that's my like secret plan to like also help calm parents who are freaking out about their kids. So anyway, tell us how you found mindfulness in your dark times. Yeah, well, um, I originally found mindfulness back in college. So I was about 20 and I, I am naturally anxious. I have a lot of anxiety it kind of kicked in somewhere in my teens. And, you know, though in those days, my anxiety felt like me, like there was no separation between my anxiety. I didn't have any mindfulness. I didn't have that awareness. So I lived my anxiety, right. And it came out in ways in my life. 
And when I was about 20, I was really struggling. I was at college and, you know, paying my way through college, having a lot of family issues, feeling very lonely, uh, just struggling. And I somehow, I don't know how, but decided, well, I'll go find a spiritual community. I really have no idea how this happened. I don't know what kind of gave me this idea, but I was raised Catholic and it wasn't my religion anymore. I didn't feel very connected to it, but really had this kind of, there was just this inner pull. And I feel like it's just this little inner knowing that we all have when we get quiet. So there must've been a moment of quiet in there somewhere. And I ended up at a unity church which was in Tallahassee, Florida, where I went to college. I went to Florida State. And the first time I went, and every time I went, they did a long meditation, a group meditation. And everyone would hold hands, and the, the pastor, whoever was leading, would give this meditation. And I would just cry and cry every time I sat. And so that led me to the bookstore, which I always say, you know, give my age, I went and bought a bunch of cassette tapes on meditation and started listening to them at night. And in their bookstore, they also had books around Thich Nhat Hanh and John Kabat-Zinn. And so I started reading. I started reading about past lives. I just got very interested in spirituality and opening the mind. And I, uh, you know, and I was doing some of that opening mind at college as well in other ways and in not church ways. Uh, so there was just this kind of coming together of different aspects of my life. And that was the opening. Now, I can't say I stayed on that path then, but it was the opening. And I often will tell people that I'm working with, you know, you may come to this one class that I'm teaching or a little class that you go to, or you may listen to something online and, and this little seed is planted and it may not sprout in that moment, but, but it gets planted. And I did know that I noticed when I did those meditations at night and I went to the church on Sunday mornings, I felt better. I just knew I felt better. I didn't know why, but I knew I felt better. So that was how I was introduced. And then fast forward, you know, almost 10 years later, and I decided I wanted to, I had been a recruiter for a long time in the tech industry, and I decided I wanted to shift professions and was going to get into executive coaching and ended up at a school in San Francisco where meditation was part of the routine. And actually, I'm going to keep talking. I'll share this. The first time I sat in my group, at New Ventures West, they had us, they said, we're going to do meditation. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, meditation. I can do that. And we all turned around facing outward in a circle and, you know, closed our eyes and they were guiding the meditation. I'm like, oh, yeah, great. I can do this. No problem. And then they got quiet for like 20 minutes or 25 minutes. And it seemed like eternity to me. My anxiety was so alive and the voices in my head and the nonsense going on were just screaming and I almost ran out of the room. It was so painful. So I also like to tell that story because, you know, it's hard sometimes in the beginning, particularly when we have some unresolved stuff going on inside us and we have anxiety and we have upsets and we have worries that I had to build up to it. I was determined at that point, like sat for five minutes a day, then 10 minutes a day and on and on and on. Right now I can go on a week-long retreat and be absolutely thrilled, but it didn't start that way. So it was a bumpy path. Mm. Yeah. And was it a natural path to then incorporate mindfulness into parenting? Was, or, or was that a bumpy path too? 
yeah, I mean, it's still a bumpy path. <laughs> it's still a bumpy path <laughs> 10 years later. Um, yeah. Um, yes. Because um, when I was first introduced to mindfulness, I was in college with no children at that time. And when I was introduced the second time, I had a six-month-old and a four-year-old. Mm. My kids were really little. They're 11 and 14 now. And so they really were such a huge part of my practice. They were my practice. All of the little things I was trying out, I was trying out in family life. And for a long time, I felt like it was diminishing me in some way, or I was a fraud. I wasn't a real meditation practitioner because I was doing all these little tricks and hacks and centering practices and ways to get my practice in that were not how they described in the books. You know, sit in the morning at the same time, at the same place, you know, have your little corner. And, you know, I was in the midst of total mayhem in my house. So it just had to come where I could get it. And, and that ultimately was the gift you know, the gift was that I really came to practice in a deep way. I landed on my path with the family and learned to incorporate it into my life. And that's the book that you have in your hands there. I mean, that's the outcome of that book. ultimately. So that's exactly what I was going to ask you. You talked a little bit about uh, you're busy. I mean, as parents are right. Parents are busy and you chose and found a path for yourself to have to meditate and also to practice mindfulness. First question I would have for maybe a, a parent that's looking at this is why they sh- would want to even look at adding something additional to their life that's already busy. Their lives are full. Why would they want to try to put this in there also? I know. That's a, that's a question. Parents will probably ask and teachers, because I've also taught in schools and teachers are like, don't give me one more thing to do. Like, and I, I know parents feel the same way. It's like, oh my God, not one more thing to do. And that's why exactly, particularly in the beginning, I would tell a parent, I will tell a parent, if there's a parent listening right now, watching right now, that if you have no practice at all, but you're interested in it, really and truly just start weaving it into what you're already doing. Now, I wrote a Harvard Business Review article. It's for working parents, but it applies to every parent, you know, how busy working parents can make time for mindfulness. And in the article, I talk about make a list of everything you do from the moment you get up until the moment you go to bed. And you could make it as long and exhausting as you want, or it can just be wake up, you know, go walk downstairs, have my coffee, take my shower, you know, feed my kids somewhere in there, you know, whatever it might be, walk to my car. Um, and then look to see where can you add a mindfulness practice into there. So it might be, I often use an example for me, like I'm not using a, a, I'm using kind of a cup where I can't feel the heat right now, but in the mornings when I have my first cup of tea and I don't want it to stay hot <laughs> all day, I, I hold it and I just feel the heat on my hands. And it's just so precious. It's just this moment of pause, right? In that moment. Or it could be that we're washing the dishes and we just feel the heat, you know, on our hands or while we're in the shower. It could be saying goodbye to one of our kids. It's time for them to go to school. And you have one of those little, you know, call them I see you moments where depending on their age, if they're really young, you can hold their hands and tell them something special about them and take one breath together, right, before they go. So, right, we can weave in, maybe just walking to our car, just really feeling the steps. As we walk slowly the car and feeling the muscles, you know, moving in our legs as we get there. So we can weave it into what we already do. 
So that makes sense to me about uh, how to practically start fitting it in, like to not necessarily carving out the time, but weaving it in, making it a part of it. And so if I start weaving it in, or if a parent starts weaving this into their life, what kinds of benefits is it really going to afford them? Like, why would they want to do this? What is it that they're going to see? And or what did you see out of your life by having a meditative or a mindfulness practice? Yeah, you know, space, you know, space in between, in between the moment of the stressor, or anything that upsets us, and our reaction. And so, so much about that support around mindfulness practice within families is to expand our reaction time. Because when we expand our reaction time in that space, then choice opens up, right? We move from this place of autopilot to aware. And it's in that awareness that we get to choose. You know, how am I going to respond in this moment? So it doesn't happen overnight. doesn't happen, you know, after doing one practice for five minutes. But we do build that muscle of coming back to ourselves, you know, again and again and again. And that pause that we take is what builds that muscle. Okay, so we take a pause, we might sit in our car for five minutes, you're know, using one of the apps, there's Headspace and Simple Habit on Simple Habit, I have a seven day series just for parents. I'm not sure if it's free or not. Um, but there is a seven day five minutes a day series that I have on that app. There's Insight Timer, there's all these different apps that you can load onto your phone and do a five minute guided meditation if you don't want to sit in silence waiting for your kids when you're picking them up from school, right? Just in the car, instead of sitting there, maybe listening to the radio or talking to a friend, get some stillness, right? Have a moment of stillness. And when, you know, our kids are reacting and there's a big fight brewing in the house, if we can pause and stop, we can actually make a U-turn. Like, okay, what am I experiencing right now? And what's going on for me? And when we can identify that, and there's research behind this, Matthew Lieberman, and I can't remember the year, it might have been 2004, did a research study on naming emotions. So literally in just naming it, I feel sad, I feel frustrated, I feel angry. It clears the free, the free, free, free prefrontal cortex and calms the amygdala right? Just in that moment. So if we can have that pause and do that U-turn and come back to ourselves and oh, what's going on for me? Oh, I'm lonely or I'm sad or I'm frustrated. That actually opens up the space for us. That makes, you know? I, I can totally relate with this. I mean, I, I've been using Headspace for a little, maybe a year and a half now. Yeah. And it's the first really regular meditation I've been doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't, uh, two things that occurred for me. One was that I thought meditation was just about that moment. And that moment was nice. And that helped me get ready for the rest of the day. And I'd be at peace and I'd feel good for the day. It does. But it really, I think it's taken me a year to figure out like it's a practice. Like, like you go and you practice a sport and you do rehearse, you know, you do practices so that when you're in the game, it is natural. It comes out. And that's what I realized recently is all this is just a practice so that when I'm in the moment with my kids or with my spouse or with anyone else, like you just, you said exactly, like I started noticing like, Oh, I have this pause. I have a choice all of a sudden and I'm not reacting immediately. So it's very tangible for me, but it was funny because I didn't have any guidance around. That's what to expect. It's just sort of like, 
it just showed up. I'm like, oh, look at that. That's pretty cool. I like this. I like this a lot. <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. You know, and in addition to that, our recovery time is faster. Right. So right before we got on, there was screaming <laughs> spring break, you and one of my kids were home and they're screaming. You guys are about to hear a chord. I'm like, uh can we pause for a second? And I went inside and there was a big whole trigger thing going on in there that I was in the midst of and definitely felt that kind of triggering. I'm like, Hey, I'm about to be interviewed here. I told you guys I was about to have an interview. You know, I was feeling hurt. I was feeling like I wasn't being cared for and taken care of and, and helped, you know, kind of helped them settle, settle down. And then as I'm walking back to my office, I get to come outside, walk to my office. I'm breathing. I paused at the door. I took a breath. I came in, kind of told you what was going on. And you said, do you need a minute? I'm like, you know, right. What did I say is I took a minute. So we're able to take care of ourselves and we're able to recover. Mm-hmm. Right? In the past, if that would have happened, I would have just stayed all twisted up inside and probably would not have been able to be here with you or with someone else in as skillful a way as I would like to, because my mind would still be going on what had happened. So I think that's something I need to work on or at least start noticing is the recovery. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it's definitely something that I struggle with in when there's a big, uh, upset or trigger or something like that. Uh, Everyone else in my family seems to recover pretty well and I'm still stuck in it Mm. (laughs) and I don't recover quick. I'm like, okay guys, you guys can go do your stuff. I'm going to like for a walk. I'm going to listen to music. So I like, it just takes me, it seems it's all, and nothing that I don't, I haven't noticed that change. And so I'm going to start looking at that and also see if I can put that practice into place for myself because it would be great if I had that. That would, that would yeah. I'm going to make a suggestion that you don't see it as something bad. Like mm. see that you're not able to recover as just another opportunity to practice. Like when you're not able to recover and suddenly like, Oh God, you guys, you're good at it. I'm not, I'm just going to go over here. Um, instead like, wow, wow. I am not able to recover. You know, this is another opportunity because that is it, right? That moment is pointing you to your freedom. Mm-hmm. That moment is pointing you to the work that needs to get done, to the inquiry in yourself that is meant to be had in that moment. And it's magical. I mean, you get to kind of be with that and sit with it and learn from it and let it be your teacher. I like that. I'll, I'd love to experience magical around that. <laughs> it's not magical right now. <laughs> so much she's laughing. Aww. She knows. <laughs> He's a little hard on himself sometimes. Um, it sounds like it. So I wanted to, to circle back around to what you said, Michelle, because you talked about how meditation and mindfulness gives us space. Mm-hmm. And uh, it not only gives us space between stimulus and response, where we get to choose. Mm-hmm. which is beautiful because like there's, there's our freedom. Yeah. Um, just as you said, uh, Marshall Rosenberg, who invented nonviolent communication says a similar thing. Instead of don't just sit there, do something. He says, don't just do something. Sit there. Sit there. Yes. I love that statement. Just yeah. sit there. Um, but also what that space gives us is the space between me and my feelings, just like you talked about with your anxiety that we are not our feelings. Yeah. I feel anxious. Yeah. That's or I'm experiencing anxiety in my body right now. Right. Yeah. Right. Let it be part. Like I'm experiencing fear in my heart, in the area of my heart right now. 
I'm experiencing frustration, like bringing it to the body is even more helpful. And I do that with my kids as well. I do it for myself. And I also do it with my kids when they're really upset, you know, all, and I can, if they're open, you know, I'm like, are you open? Like, can we figure out where this is in your body? And they kind of know the, you know, the, the ask and they're either open to it or not in that moment. But if they are open to it and I can get them to be still like, whoa, right? Where is it? Like, oh, it's in my stomach. You know, my face feels like it's going to explode or, you know, my chest feels so tight and it's hot. You know, so getting kids and ourselves to know like, what are the body triggers? What's going on in that moment in our body and identifying it because that will help us get ahead of it. And I talk about that in the very beginning of the book um, with the chapter around breathe when I wanted to like get ahead of my reactions and my son Tyler was 14 now was four. And one of my teachers suggested that I have him help me. I'm like, have him help me? It's like, yeah, have him tell you when he thinks you're getting upset and have him remind you to breathe. And so I gave him that permission. And so he would, I would be like pacing or doing whatever I do right before I get upset and be like, breathe, mama. Breathe. 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 And he can't say that. The and holy cow. I mean, he did it for months and he would catch me before I caught me because he was seeing my somatic experiences that I wasn't having, like I wasn't aware of, but him telling me that I started noticing, oh my gosh, I pace or I'm cleaning up. I'm moving quickly and I'm cleaning things up, you know, when I'm upset or, um, you know, my jaw gets very tight. So I think he was just kind of noticing something in my, in my face. And I'll tell you what, like over time, giving him that permission, it helped me get ahead of it. I love that. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask specifically about how you help your kids tune into their body. Can you like, and maybe there isn't anymore, but maybe there is of like, like give us a step-by-step of what that looks like and what they say. And then after they've identified where that is in their body and what it feels like, what do you do then? Do you just like say, okay, great. And it feel it fades away. Or do you have them like, imagine it's floating away in a balloon. Like, what do you do? You could do that. I don't do that, but that's definitely a good idea. Uh, you know, I do something different every time. I don't have a process necessarily that I do, but I can kind of walk you through something that might happen. So if they're having, you know, upset about something and I can get them to, you know, can, do you want to pause? Do you want to, are you willing to explore this a little bit, depending on their age? Like my older son is, has kind of been through this with me a little bit more and he has a pretty good idea of himself right now. Like he'll let me know. Like I'm, I can tell I should not be having a conversation right now. Like my chest is really tight and my jaw is really tight. So he'll know, like, let's talk in 15 minutes. He knows himself that well by now. My little guy who's 11, you know, I'll see him kind of worked up. And if I can get him to pause, like pause, like see if he can stop. Just notice, do a quick little scan of the body, like head, heart, belly, right? I'm moving quickly, but I'll kind of give them time. Like give them time. Is this in your mind? You know, is it in your heart? Is it in your belly? Like what area of the body is it? And they can almost always identify it. And there's little things you can do like, okay, you're angry, right? So there's anger. Like what color would it be? And my little guy is an artist. So I'll say, can you draw it? Like what would it look like? 
And now that really, you know, calms the amygdala down because they're moving into a whole nother area of the brain. You know, they're upset that now they're drawing. And then afterwards, I'll, I'll mention, okay, so what do we know? What do you know about your anger right now? You know, well, I know that it ends up in this part of my body. And what else do you know? Like what happens when you draw? Well, I know when I draw it, I feel better. Right. So it's, it's just in pointing that out to them, identifying it and then giving them another thing to do. I love Dan Siegel's book, um, the whole brain child, such a good one. I know you, I'm sure you guys have that one. And I got an idea from that book when my guy was really little, that when we would go through this process, I'd ask him, you know, what can, how can you move your body? to help you move this, you know, to help you move this frustration or move this anger. And he decided it was jumping on the bed. And so I would see that working up in him and I'd say, what do you think you, what do you want to do? What, what should we do? Let's jump on the bed, right? So we'd go upstairs and now it became a whole like acting thing because that's how he is. And so we'd get on the bed and be like, like so mad, like pretending to be more, even more mad than he was. And then he'd kind of smile, but then I'm like, oh, I'm kind of seeing some shifting, right? We kind of play out the whole thing. And then eventually, of course, he'd be smiling and laughing and having a good time. I'm like, I am so proud of you for knowing what to do. Like you knew what to do with your anger and your frustration and you moved it. Like, how does that feel? How are you feeling? And get them to talk about it. And by the way, this isn't only about frustration and anger and fear, but you can also feel the joys. Like my kids will often say, God, I am so happy. Like I like feel like my belly is just flipping everywhere or my heart feels really open or warm or whatever word they use in that moment because it helps them to have that language. Like what does joy feel like in your body? They're saying, I'm so happy. What's happy? Like, how do you know you're happy? What do you feel? Like, what do you feel? Like, do you feel on like your toes? Do you feel on like your fingers? And let them describe what they feel. So they can also, you know, it's not just for sadness. That was great. I, uh, what you just said there really hit home for one of the things that we talked to parents about doing is really being a, uh, a facilitator for them to be educated about their feelings, you know, like, like an emotional coach. Yeah. Like an emotional and, uh, or especially early on, because you know, when kids are younger, all they're, they're just feeling stuff, you know, and they don't even know, like, it, it, they don't know if it's mad or sad as an adult. I sometimes didn't know the difference between, uh, scared, nervous, excited, you know, like all the, like, I had happy, mad, sad. I was about it. And that's, I've, I've had to like work on these other, I'm naming these other emotions. And when, if we can work with our kids to start to identify what those feelings are for themselves, not only does it help calm them down, but like they then now know, oh, okay. So that's what that feeling is. And I have a choice around it. And yes. here's what can happen next. I just, I really like that. And yeah. what I like about what you said, Michelle, is that is that if you focus on where is this in your body, where are you feeling it? They don't actually have to have the emotional vocabulary yet no. to identify the feeling, but they have the relationship to their body. A three-year-old knows where they feel it, but a three-year-old might not know what it's called yet. No. So it right. gives them access to this, no. uh, this experience, this knowledge about themselves much more quickly than they might ordinarily have it and the, those questions that you also had of like how do you what was it again um like what did you learn about your anger what did you learn this really brings like this metacognitive piece where they're thinking about their thinking they're thinking about their learning they're thinking about themselves yeah. and it's not 
coming from us saying, well, you learned this. So you learned that. Oh, how great is that? But them owning it, which is really beautiful. So thank you for sharing. And I don't know if you said it, but maybe I just made it up was that you kind of narrated what was happening for you as a parent and like role model, like, Oh, here's how I'm feeling right now. My jaw is getting tight. I'm, you know, feeling some, and so I'm thinking that right now I'm feeling, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And I think that's really fantastic as a parent for kids to see, not just for the role modeling piece, but for them to recognize like, Hey, we have feelings too, that it's not like you, uh, it, it, it's not like we're immune to feelings like we're dealing with the same stuff you are. And so it's, it's not going to go away <laughs> and it's a great just, thing. Just for when you, you get older. <laughs> yeah, it's a great thing for you to be able to be experiencing as well. And we can role model how we deal with it in the same way that we'd like to see them deal with it. And I think that's the biggest uh, takeaway I've had in this last year is like, I've had to realize I really got to walk the talk and I don't know why it's all of a sudden hitting me. I mean, it's our kids are what 13 and 14 now, maybe a little late for me to figure this out, but I, you're I, figuring it out at a new level. This yeah. is like a brand new insight. No, it's, but I mean, I think it's cause they're so much older that, you know, they're doing a lot of what I am doing, you know, in, in the real world. And I'm recognizing like, if I want them to not be on their device all the time, then guess what? That means I'm also not on my device all the time. Really like really tangible things like that. But in a bigger, sense of like, if I'm going to, if I want them to take care of themselves, I got to take care of me. If I want them to be able to manage their feelings, I need to manage my feelings. So I have to really walk that talk that I'm giving to them. So I, uh, I, I enjoyed what you were saying there about that metacognitive piece of talking it through out loud for the yeah. kids to hear it. So, so good. And making the implicit explicit. I'm pretty sure I talk about that in the book too. Just make the implicit explicit. If we want our kids to learn about their feelings, their emotions, then we need to share our, our feelings and emotions, just like you were pointing to. So the more we say it out loud, what we're experiencing from the range of, you know, frustration to joy, then they will learn to do that for themselves. They, they're watching us. You know, they are seeing what we're doing and we're teaching ourselves in the process. And so everybody wins. I think that's great as well as meditation in the same way. Like they can, this is something I've also recently been doing is making sure I'm meditating when my kids can see me, which is not always easy, especially when they're younger uh, or even just to find the time, but I want them to see this. And so it's an opportunity to role model it for them. Cause a lot of my meditation before was just off on my own when they were gone, gone for the day or whatever, or at night. But now I'm like actually making a point of being them being around while I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I wanted to ask if there were any other practices that you do with your kids kind of on a, uh, besides the, to identify their feelings in their body thing mm-hmm. um, that you do either to prev- not prevent, but like, there's like the heat of the moment stuff. And then there's the, you know, off the field, there's on the field and off the field. Yeah. Um, are there any other practices for people who are experimenting with this that you can advise them to start putting into their lives with their kids? Yeah. What is different? Their ages, right? Their ages make a big difference. So I'll often tell the story that I think I tell in the book when my kids were leaving for school and they were walking themselves for the first time. And I was feeling like kind of uneasy myself. Like it was really for me. So I created this little ritual where we'd all hold hands and take a breath together and pass this little hand squeeze around. And that was it. 
you know, then they would leave for school. So in that way, I was just incorporating, really, I was like, what do I need? <laughs> and how can I create this as a little ritual? It may be at the family dinner table, that there's a pause, whatever your rituals may be, whether it's saying grace or sharing something at the dinner table, that there's a pause. And we don't eat at the dinner table every night. I wish we did. But we at least try to get to it once or twice a week and make sure there's that pause. You know, during so it's the same thing for families as it is for individuals, right? What do you already do together as a family? What moments happen throughout the day, and how can you weave these practices into what you already do? Bedtime is such a sweet time. Like now, my fourteen-year-old, I don't really get much <laughs> nighttime anymore, but I still get that with my youngest son. And right now, we have a little ritual that you know, right before he goes to bed, we say like, name three things that went well today. Like, what made you happy today? What are three things that went well? And and he's naming three things, and I'm sharing three things. And so it's just this little moment that we're having, you know, as we drift off to sleep. And with my older son, we were just away for spring break for a few days, just rented a house up the coast. And um, and we spent an evening, my, my husband took my younger son out to a movie, and him and I just sat and looked out at the view and... It's so crazy. I have to write about this, but he's really into Eminem, which is pretty foul, right? It's pretty foul music, but he's listening to Eminem. And I was sharing with him a little about the Enneagram. That is a study, a, a, a tool to understand yourself and your personality. It's a, a beautiful tool. If you, I'm not sure you guys probably are familiar with it, but whoever's listening and, um, I've talked to him about it before, but he got interested. So I said, how about we read our Enneagram types? I'll read them to you and you play Eminem songs. So we went back and forth, you guys, I'm not kidding. I would read a type, you know, I would read his type. We'd talk about it a little bit and then he'd find an Eminem song he wants me to listen to. And then in between that, you know, I would be asking him questions like, what is it about this music that you love so much because I like Eminem too. I love the beat. Sometimes the words are kind of hard for me to hear. And I told him that I'm like, I really noticed kind of it. I can kind of constrict when I listen to some of the songs. It's really hard to hear. And he said, you know, mom, this music, like, I have such a privileged life that this music helps to me to know that even better. And I see how hard life was for him. And so I, I was not expecting this right from this whole thing, but I was open in the moment to kind of integrating his interest with something I was wanting to share with him. And we ended up talking a lot about our Enneagram types and what Enneagram type Eminem was. We looked it up online and we didn't actually agree with it. And we talked about why we didn't agree with it. And we just ended up having this two hours, I mean, an hour and 45 minutes sitting there. It got dark. We didn't even turn the lights on and it was just beautiful. So it looks differently depending on their age. Oh, I love that. I don't really like them too, huh? Yeah. The young, yeah. For them, everything you're saying there, I'm like, yeah, I have, that's the same conversation. Oh, that's interesting. She had a similar conversation, like his life, what his life is like. If the song's really about him, like, that's just very interesting what you said. And what happened, and I had the same experience of like, I was open to listening to what she had to say. There was a part of me that's like, I don't know how I feel about her listening to this. And yeah, I like Eminem too, but same thing, like the words. And But I was open to her and her interest and I was spending time with her. And I think 
that's even at a young age, like being able to spend the time, like those, those one-on-one kind of dates with the kids. Um, you had talked about your husband taking the youngest and you were sitting with your oldest and like just making sure that we're having, even as they're getting older, uh, especially as you're getting older, having these one-on-one times have, have really transformed our uh, experience as parents as they've gotten older. And the, I'm still waiting for the teen rebellion to kick in. There's been like this little hiccup and then it's gone. And um, so many of the parents that we've talked to that have parented in this way, uh, as their kids become teens, there's just not that teen rebellion like you hear about so much in more traditional parenting. So we're, we're really enjoying this time as well. And uh, I think that there's uh, some joy that I get as a parent out of having those opportunities with our kids, let alone that it's, you know, setting up our future together and their future as, a, as an individual. So I really like that story that you share there. Yeah, and we can even enjoy the hiccups, you know, like we, we, things are pretty smooth over here too. And, you know, that hiccup comes and that separation comes. And my son and I have talked about that. Like sometimes I can really feel you pushing against me. Mm. And I said, do you feel that? He said, yeah, I feel that too. I'm like, well, I want you to know that it's hard for me and I know it's hard for you. And it's totally normal, right? It's what you're meant to be doing. There's this differentiation that, your biological body wants to do and your psychological body wants to do. So I just want you to know that I'm okay with it when it happens and I'm going to fight to get back to you every single time. Mm, That's such a beautiful message. I love how you make that implicit thing explicit in those words. Like I I don't think that enough kids hear those messages. So thank you so much for this conversation. I've gotten so many like little insights about it. I was having a little self-judgment because I'm not like a meditator like Jason is, but I realize I'm kind of like you, like I do it in little tiny tidbits. I incorporate it into rituals. I'll like walk or breathe or hold the cup of tea or journal (laughs) or touch a houseplant and like give it the, the, feelings that I don't want to feel anymore. Like I'll just pass it on to that little house plant. Or just go outside and like, listen to the birds. Like I'm, I'm kind of a in the moment kind of meditator person. And then once I've done that, it makes everything so much easier for me to recover, for me to know what to do when my kids are doing their thing. So I'm not coming from fear. I'm not coming from anger. Uh, I can access those parts of my brain where I have my creativity and I have my sense of humor and I have perspective that I cannot freak out about stuff. So there's so many, so many little tidbits that you've shared with us um, about how to do this in real life, in the field, off the field, with different ages of kids. So I, I always appreciate chatting with you and getting inspired and lifted up by you and as we're wrapping up is there any final words that you want to leave us with or an ask that you might have for the audience here well i you know in in listening to you cecilia i would say i really encourage parents to weave it in wherever you can and to be inspired for the potential of the deeper practice Mm -hmm. So that, that sometimes that's a really nice entry point, particularly for us parents who are in the midst of chaos in our lives. And 
to, I hope that those are some breadcrumbs that are being left that will lead them towards some more dedicated practice and some longer, you know, not necessarily weeks at a time, but you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And that may inspire for a day long retreat uh, because there is something really magical that happens when we get to know our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And we get that, that time to really sit in stillness that is just exquisite. So I, I encourage that as the path to, to lead. Thank I love you. it. That's I'll great. take it on. <laughs> yeah. And um, what would be the best way for people to find out more about you, the work you're doing, your book uh, online? What would be the best thing? So the easiest way to get to my website is beamindfulparent.com. So beamindfulparent.com. It's also michellegale.com. It's hard to remember to spell people's names. And uh, that's really the easiest place to find me. I know we talked also about giving something away for your um, listeners and for the people who are participating. And I have a about an hour long presentation called big emotions and what to do with them. It seems so perfect for, for what you guys are up to in this conference. So there's going to be a way for them to access that. Um, that's my gift to everyone listening. And, um, I would love for them to join my community, join my newsletter and, um, just be a part of, of, of this path of mindful parenting. It's such an honor to be on it as so many parents like you guys who care so much. Well, thank you, Michelle. We'll include the links for that. And uh, it's such an honor to be able to talk to you and to have you share with us your journey, your, uh, your wisdom. And uh, I appreciate you taking that time to share it with everyone here and with the world. Uh, it makes the world a better place. We're, we, we believe that there is a, a very powerful force in parenting and uh, we're up to changing the world through parenting. So thank you for being a part of that change. And uh, we look forward to talking to you more. We always enjoy talking to you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today.